0: Welcome in to another edition of the Cattails Podcast, the official Weber State Athletics Podcast. I'm Paul Grua, joined by Steve Klauke, the voice of the Wildcats, and also today joined by Tim Crompton, our athletic director, as we're going to interview a legend at Weber State in Jerry Graybill. In just a few minutes, we want to mention that uh, our podcast now available on everywhere you can get your podcasts, now on Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And also coming up next week, uh, the week of August 24th, when school begins at Weber State, we'll have the... Week with the Wildcats, we'll have more information coming about that, but uh, stay tuned for interviews and other things about Weber State all week long as school begins, and uh, we, we profile what's going on here at Weber State Athletics. Steve, how are you today?
1: Doing well, looking forward to finally getting a chance to uh, be with my uh, football partner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> partner in crime. Yes.
0: Partner in crime. So Jerry Graybill, I thought of the best way to introduce him here. He's a man that's had many hats here at Weber State. Uh, in what 22 years plus 23 years of head football coach special assistant to the athletic director athletic director now is an associate athletic director for development also the color commentator for for football broadcasts on the radio so uh, a had many hats but I still haven't found you, a picture of you in a hat That's correct so <laughs> that's an ongoing You never wear out hats out
2: there for, for our sports information director <laughs> dating back to Brad Larson Obviously, currently with Paul Grua, that if you can find a picture of me with a hat in my career, I will pay you the amount of $50. Wow. I'm not really a man of many hats. I'm more like the hat rack. Well, you've worn... The, hat <laughs> the rack when you walk in the door and you chuck your hat, that's kind of where it lands on Jerry Green. Well, you've well, you certainly a lot of hats.
3: done quite a few things here at this institution, and legend is a pretty good pretty good I way so. to to, to define... Your your time
2: here. That's usually developed in your own mind, isn't it? Oh wow! I mean, just shut them all up. So you've done
0: you've done so many things here. I don't even know where to begin. So how about we begin in Washington when you were born?
2: Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, actually I was born in in, Hermiston, Oregon, down in the Columbia Columbia River there, and my father moved us to uh, Walla Walla Walla. five years old as. I'm not even going to give you my birth date, but he uh, he, he moved <laughs> us to Walla Walla so that my older brother, Gary, who lives with me now, a uh, transplant from Phoenix, Arizona, uh, so he could go to uh, uh, school, to be quite honest, special education. Gary's had some challenges, was born with cerebral palsy, but uh, so my dad gave up his lucrative paving business and moved to Walla Walla and was there for 33 years, and that's kind of the, kind of, Morgan's a little bit like Walla Walla, you know, you got a hotbed of small town, rural, agricultural area that uh, sports is number one, still is to this day, you know, it's just not grown much, it's, it's the second coming of Napa Valley now, now with uh, Drew Bledsoe and his, his winery and uh, quite a few notables that are relocating there because it's kind of like uh, the Napa Valley to be quite honest, but my upbringing is in the state of Washington.
0: And you had a, a lot of uh, time, of course, in Washington, we're going to get to about eastern Washington been there for many years. You've been a part of the big sky in numerous ways. So you grew up in Washington. Did you play sports all your life growing yeah, up?
2: I did. You know, back then you uh, you worked in the fields, and uh, they'd even uh, they'd even put off two days of so the guys could finish up, you know, wheat harvest, pea harvest, and those things. But you know, you play year round. You know, all the three the three main sports: baseball and football, obviously, and basketball. And um, that's just what you did. You know, growing up small town America, and uh, very successful program there you know still is like I said to this day and just uh, had a lot of great mentors as coaches and probably had uh, you know the the most prominent coach that I played for growing up actually was a was my little league coach and uh, Harold Dutton he was basically the parts manager at the local Ford dealership at that man knew baseball inside and out so I was brought up properly in the formal etiquette at baseball, and probably was my best sport, actually, as, a, as an athlete, but uh, it bored the hell out of me. And, uh, you know, football football was, you know, interactive, and being a man of small stature, you know, it was a challenge, a personal challenge, that I wanted to play
1: with the big boys. Yeah, you hear a lot about professional athletes, uh, even collegiate athletes that are, are stars in their sport, but I'll always say, but this sport yeah. was actually my favorite. Yeah. So, but in your case, you wound up in football football was always your favorite
2: it always was yeah from when you're out playing uh, in the front yard you know to a little tackle football in the front yard with your neighborhood friends and uh and through junior high you know i just uh, I just love the sport i love the contact love the interaction uh just the uh you know the camaraderie that's built within that huddle and those types of challenges that are in the sport of football you know the contact piece of it when you're like I said, if you're the smallest kid, you're not the first person picked in the football matchup. So I always kind of like that personal challenge, you know, and uh, I love listening to Dane Lillard, to be quite honest, and those things that, that fuel his fire, you know, and I'm, I'm not comparing myself to Dane Dame Lillard, but his approach uh, to that uh, challenge in, in his sport, what keeps driving him is just, I, I think it's the same thing. When I was a little kid, football drove me to that point where I, I wanted to compete. You know, in baseball, like I say, you sit around, you fool around, you know, it takes so long to play. There's no real contact involved, maybe you no know, collision at the plate, some once on a blue moon, you know. Or it it just, just wasn't as appealing, although I was a better baseball player than I was a football player growing
1: up. You know, along those lines, too, is, you know, being in Walla Walla, maybe obviously not a, a media center. So, uh, in following uh, sports from where you were, did you have a favorite player growing up that you wanted to uh, emulate? Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs actually, you
2: know, were were really once the once the uh, transition between the old AFL and the NFL happened. Uh, I really loved Warren McVeigh, and people won't even know or remember. But he was tiny. He was a little little guy that was very explosive and a great returner. I loved returning kicks and punts. So uh, he he was a person that I always, you know, followed and watched, you know, and you know, Hank Stram, Hank Stram, you know, on the sidelines pacing up and down with his nice suit on and his skinny tie. A, a small man, maybe not weight-wise, but you know, not very tall in stature, you know, and, and so I, I always, you know, look back and and think of those people that influenced me, though, not only athletes, but teachers you know, a lot of great teachers in the school district there in Walla, Walla but, and, and good coaches, good solid coaches, you know, good people that, that taught you a progression in your, in your life, you know, and, and you wanted you to follow that progression. Now, those, those are the kind of people that I really looked up to.
0: Well, so how did you end up at Idaho State? That's the question. You played, you played college football at Idaho State. <laughs> <laughs> it's a short, long story, but uh, I actually
2: was only recruited out of high school to play baseball. But once again, I, uh, I didn't really enjoy or have the passion for baseball that you have to have to be a baseball junkie and a good player. So I walked on at Eastern Washington State College back then and uh, was quickly, uh, dis- I mean, disillusioned <laughs> is the greatest word, but I, w- I, was, I was disappointed in the program at that time. They actually didn't even have spring football. So the development piece wasn't really just jumping out at me. I mean, I, I, I made the team um, and actually probably could have played a little bit as a freshman. But I was so disappointed in the overall scheme of things and finding out that NAIA, N-A-I-A football did not include spring football. And I wanted to get better. I wanted to you know, lift weights in the offseason and, and progress and develop. So I actually stayed there for a year. My father said, you're not coming home. You're going to bring home at least 45 credits. It's a quarter school, which I did, and transferred back to Walla Walla Community College and played there and uh, got my associate's degree. And then um, the defensive coordinator at the time at uh, Walla Walla Community College accepted the defensive coordinator position at Idaho State. And so I went with Ron Gentry to Idaho State A little bit sight unseen, I made a couple recruiting trips to Idaho and Boise State and a couple other places, but to be quite honest, it was more about that once again, looking up to a person that was a mentor as a a coach, and he was my next door neighbor to be quite honest, you know, I I accepted the scholarship and went to
0: play for the the Bengals. Oh, well, that began a long career in the big sky. That's for sure. Yep, it did. did with three different schools, but starting yeah. there. Yeah, know.
2: and most coaches, you know, you look at it, they hit five or six schools. Some people <laughs> up to eleven or twelve, but you know, three three stops is you know pretty yeah. good. I, I you know I'm a kind of a homebody type person. People that know
0: me. When did you think about coaching or going into coaching? Yeah,
2: you know, and that goes back to Don Wilkins, my defensive back coach and the defensive coordinator at Wall Wall High School, had a big influence on my life. Again. Uh, he was he was a small guy that that played college football and, and I knew that and had a successful career at Central Washington a very storied program also and uh, I always you know look back on the things that he taught me when I was you know some of the tricks of the trade when you're smaller you to survive in football you know you have to have a person that knows those type of things and he and he taught me at an early age how to survive in football and so you know just just understanding the the uh, the challenges that were going to, you know, be presented to me as a small, you know, person trying to play college football. Uh, I was looking for that development piece. Once again, we didn't even lift weights in high school. I mean, you went and lifted pea bales and hay bales, and that's that was your weightlifting back then. You know, or your dad told you to go out and, you know, work. You know, cut a cord of wood or something like that. You didn't lift weights. We weren't progressive that way in the you know early '70s. So. I didn't finally lift weights until I got to Idaho State, so, but, you know, just that that, that piece of the challenge, you know, I, I think in knowing, you know, that that these, are, these people are teachers, and I really enjoy that, you know, I look at coaches as teachers, they represent the teaching profession in a lot of ways, you know, and I think that's, I actually volunteered at Eastern Washington, I was trying to finish my degree after leaving Idaho State and transferred back to uh, Eastern Washington to finish my degree in education. Uh, because I wanted to make more money than, I think I think Idaho in 1977 was offering a whopping 10800 for a first-year teacher, and, and Washington State was offering a crazy amount, like $13,000. Mm. <laughs> so, so I went and transferred back there and volunteered. That first spring ball for Dick Zorns, they only had two full-time coaches, he and Larry and Tom Mason, a good friend of mine, a colleague that's coached at about 11 or 12 schools. Uh, we both transferred back. He, he from Reno and, and myself from Idaho State volunteered. And after two years of volunteering, he- we got hired as hourly uh, assistants and was there for 16 years and ran the defense. I thought they were probably going to bury me at Woodward Field someday. How
1: awkward was it when you are just out of school and a volunteer coach and then getting the coaching position you know, from the standpoint that you were only a couple of years older than the guys you um, were trying to coach? Yeah, that's a
2: challenge. You know, and, and I see it a lot in uh, Coach Kromps can address this also. There's nothing tougher than trying to be a graduate assistant at the very institution where you played because of that relationship with former players. For me, it wasn't a really a, a big challenge because I mean I was, you know, coming from Idaho State. Um, there were very few people that didn't even remember me at Wall Wall, you know, high school. And so when when I went back to Cheney Washington and I really didn't know any of the players, and so I could I could kind of carve my own niche and had create my own personality with those with those players. And, and I actually started on the offensive side of the ball, my first full-time position was as a wide receiver coach, which also helped me in my coaching career because I learned the offensive side of the ball and actually coached uh, as an assistant in the offensive line for a while. And then uh, w- worked with the running backs for a while and then finally made the jump back to my love, you know, the defensive side of the ball and then things kind of just fell into place. And, and Dick, Dick created Eastern Washington, there's no doubt. And the administration there supported him through some very lean years. You know, we, we we, worked with about 25 scholarships compared to the Big Sky, you know, that was fully allotted at that time. And there weren't as many programs fully funded when it came to scholarships, you know, in the in the early 80s, to be quite honest. Uh, the Montanans of the world and a few others, maybe. But uh, understanding how to be creative with scholarships and, and piecemeal together a football team to create depth. and. It was just a, a really good experience for me. and You know, next thing you know, you've been there 16 years, you know, and it's kind of like, next thing you know, you've been at Weaver State 22 years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it's just, I, I never was, uh, I never anticipated going and, and, and chasing around the country. I, I just really, I'm, I'm, ser- I'm seriously, I'm pretty much a homebody. And uh, once you get my
0: loyalty, you keep it for a long time. Yeah. So, you know, Eastern Washington at the time was not in the Big Sky but transitioned into the Big Sky while you were there. So you were there in the 80s and in a lot of the 90s. And you've told me some stories about some great battles with Weber State, among other teams, oh, you know, absolutely. all kinds of battles that you had with Jamie Martin days and, yeah. and all those in the Yeah, Jamie
2: Martin, that's one of my favorite stories. So Jamie Martin gets his first start against one of my defenses right here in Stewart Stadium. And he threw six picks, I believe, that day. And, and we, we trashed. Quite, we were staying pretty good. And we had a really good team that year and a great defense. The next year, he threw for 400 yards, and I think six touchdowns against us in Cheney, Washington. And I, I brought that up to Jamie, and he's like, you tried to ruin my career in my first start. And I said, yeah, and you tried to ruin my job. The <laughs> <Second> very <laughs> next year, I think arms wanted to fire me after that game. I think they put up 600 yards of offense against us that day. So, yeah, you know, that, that, it's funny because I played in Stewart Stadium. Yeah. You know, when I was yeah. at Idaho State, you know, and I played against the Wildcats in the mini dome and Hold Arena, you know, and, and, and like you say, when you grow up in the big sky as a player, you don't really don't want to think about so much those rivalry games. At Eastern we really didn't have any rivalry games other than Idaho. Because when we were an independent, you know, in eighty five is the first time we made the playoffs there in a great football team that, you know, uh, beat Idaho. You know, and those are some Dennis Erickson teams. Right. And, you know, Keith Gilbertson and some really quality football. John L. Smith, you know, some quality teams that I coached. But really, they were our only rivals. So when we went to Ogden, Utah, and Roger Ruzek hits a bomb, to beat us, you know, we had a pretty good kicker ourselves. Mike Wold hit a 50-plus yarder, and then Ruzek comes in back and hits like a 52-yarder with no time clock, and beats us. I, that was my first understanding of these rivalries within the big sky. Yeah. And I said, well, I played against Weaver's, and I don't remember them being that good. <laughs> you know, and, and and Mike Price had some well, really good yeah, football Yeah, I was going to say those '80s, late 80s yes, teams with yes with the the Price. I mean, yeah. they were really good, and they, and they were very progressive with the West Coast Jeff offense. Carlson. And yeah, and yeah, I played against them, coached against some really good, talented players. So... I didn't really develop that taste for the rivals until we became members of the Big Sky. And then, you know, and we struggled. We struggled through the early 90s, you know, for a while. And then the 92 team that people really don't even remember had Kurt Schultz on it that played, you know, for, I don't know, 10-plus years in the NFL, it was at Buffalo Bills, you know, and, and still lives in Buffalo. That class and his team in '92, those those were re- the start of some really good years for for Eastern Great. Washington. Yeah, well, they, they were
1: back there when uh, they still had green grass. Yeah, oh, yeah, absolutely. You know what? Here's an interesting thing
2: that you know, they, like all good athletic departments, they they polled all former coaches and players when they wanted to introduce the red inferno, the red artificial surface, and, and I know that that poll came back overwhelmingly against. <laughs> putting in because they're a bunch of old timers like right. myself we're traditionalists you're supposed to play football on green grass and if it's going to be artificial it needs to still be green right and i think they said be damned all you guys you former players we're going to step up like boise and throw in that red turf and i see they just replaced they it They just yes. replaced it yes yeah they exactly. offered a piece of that you know i, I didn't i didn't buy a piece of uh, worn out
1: red carpet oh they were going to give it to you they, you had to buy it yeah, yeah. No, you had to buy it totally. they, they, they need money right now <laughs>
0: Uh, what's it like as a, as a defensive coach? Coach Hills, similar probably mm-hmm. path as you, you know, a longtime assistant. He was a defensive coordinator and uh, still is now our defensive coordinator. What, what was it about – you played cornerback, obviously, uh-huh. but what was it about the defensive side that really has been interesting for you as a coach?
2: I think it's the, it's the recklessness – To be quite honest, you you, you have to play with some reckless abandon, the old cliche, you know, play with reckless abandon, you know. Well, you do a little bit. I mean, there's structure on defense, and if you can't handle the structure, then you won't get a lot of playing time. But within that structure, you have to have the physical nature of football in you. You've got to go and want to contact people. and, And, you know, Offensive guys are always pretty. They're kind of the prima donnas. They get all the headlines. I heard that about cornerbacks. <laughs> they, the yeah, cornerback. Yeah, well, yeah, you got to be a little crazy, but cornerback. <laughs> but but when I played, the forward pass had barely been invented. You know, <laughs> so if I defended, you know, five passes in a game, that was a, that was a lot of throws. You know, I mean, quarterback Denny here. At, at Montana State, they won the National Championship. He wore a neck roll. That What does that tell you? They didn't throw like yeah. seven passes a game. You know, they handed the ball to Delmar Jones and he ran for 100 yards on everybody. But going back to that, you know, the defensive side, you have to have that mentality. Offense, you know, you, you, you have to pick and choose. The offensive line, very physical. The rest of them, running back, you see a lot of good running, physical running backs. But quarterbacks, finesse. Wide mm-hmm. receivers, finesse. They ask them to block once in a while and they usually lose that battle you know but they're out there to get in the way you know so that that probably that aspect of defense are always really you know uh, yeah created some excitement it's it's the strategy in in a game that's the most uh, exhilarating piece of coaching you know in on game day that little chess match that goes on between a defensive coordinator and offensive quarter coordinator that's what's really exhilarating I mean that's what that that's what gives you the rush in a game you know if i got you you got me right. you know and you you just the football's changed so much you know mm-hmm. you see so many so many numbers exploding when it comes to you know all the run pass optional quarter, you know quarterbacks that are in the in the game now they're so athletic it's really a tough chore on defense to hold somebody down. So I'd really admire what Jay and his defensive staffs have done
1: here. Yeah, not only that that how the game has changed, but the rules have changed. Oh, absolutely. You know how difficult yeah. that drive you crazy oh. as a defensive coach yeah, today. Yeah, I I
2: love watching Lester Hayes and, and, <laughs> and his counterpart at the other corner when the Oakland, you know, Raiders had that great defense. And but, you know, I mean there's a reason he had a nickname like he did, you know, and and, and they would allow you to actually put your hands on wide receivers and your for a full contact piece and the games change dramatically now and and I think some of it's to provide more entertainment for the fans they like seeing the high-scoring games and, and, and a lot of big-time plays in a game as a defense coordinator we used to say hold the other team to five plays that we have the success in those five plays if you can go three out of five on big-time plays, a long ball, you know, a long run. If you can contain those things, you're always going to have a chance to win the ball. It's more like 10 plays now in a game.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I mean, I mean, it's doubled. If you as a defense can contain 10 big plays in a game, you've probably got a good chance of winning that game. Yeah. But the, the rules, you're right, Steve. They've changed so much to, you know, they. I don't want to say handcuff the defense, but seriously, every, every new piece of legislation coming out of rules committees and everything is always always benefited the offense, you know, and I'm just trying to lose a little bit because back when I played, you know, games were low scoring. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt. You know, a 13-10 was probably a really good football game. But now, I mean, it's 40-plus points a game. I mean, I'm amazed at the Patrick Mahomes of the world and some of these athletes. You know, I've always loved Aaron Rodgers, how he manages the game. You know, and some of these great quarterbacks, you know, I don't mention Tom Brady because he's He's Tom Brady, Yeah, he is the GOAT, you know, but at the same time, those type of games, you know, you're seeing a lot more of those high-scoring games, and I mean, I can't even imagine trying to defend some of the receivers that are in the game
0: now. Well, the Big Sky was known for that, too, and still yeah. probably is, but there's so many high-scoring games. Look back at the records. some of those games with the Eastern were in the 60s, yeah. 50s, 60s and 50s. Yeah, you know you what, know? that's
2: still a, just a fur in my <laughs> saddle. You know, we're <laughs> yeah. I was coaching at Eastern Washington, we played playing this game out here, it turns in at the time was the highest scoring game in, you know, in yeah. the Legion football, Division One football. And to be quite honest, it all came down to an onside kick, and, and Eastern Washington not securing it. And they kicked the ball to our best receiver, and he botched it, and it allowed Alfred Papuno to score late and to beat us in that game. And, of course, the field goals that were involved in all those contests drives me nuts as a defensive coordinator because that really was about a 24-17 game <laughs> that just exploded on a few of those... Four or five big-time yeah. plays, and and unfortunately for Eastern Washington, you know, the Wildcats
1: made those plays. Yeah, it's, it's bad for a defensive coach uh, when the point total surpasses the temperature of the field. Yes, oh, I, Well,
2: how about the year when Coach Mack was played against Jerry Glanville in, in Portland? Oh, yeah, 73-68. And, and, and the Cats basketball team, I believe.
0: Yeah, the, against Portland State. Against Portland State. Same score. score.
2: Same same score. Same. Right? I mean, we're Never, I'll never forget that. I'm the athletic director. I go down and get Coach Mack after the game, getting him over to the post game. He and Jerry Glanville are standing down in the bowels of Civic Stadium. That truly is the bowels of a stadium.
1: I'll vouch for that. Yep.
2: And and they're both reminiscing over a game that just got completed and laughing and giggling about it. And I said the only thing that Max giggling about is he won the game <laughs> because I guarantee you that that next day Sunday film session had to be a beast because Coach Mac was hard on
0: coaches. You know, giving up sixty eight points. But oh my god! It,
2: yeah. it was the craziest thing I've yeah. ever seen. I said I went to a football game and a track meet broke out. <laughs> you know, it was just amazing.
0: Well, 17 years as an assistant at Eastern Washington, nine years as the defense coordinator, and then all of a sudden, Weber State comes calling. Now, I know John Johnson was at Eastern Washington, right, and then had been hired just before that at Weber State as the athletic director with Dutch and that kind of transition there. So what was that? That probably had a, had a role in there, yes. but what was it that got you to Weber State as a head coach?
2: Well, you know what? At the time, just thinking of the age, and you know, I'm creeping up on 65 here now, but at that time, you know and I, and I was being facetious when i said they were going to bury him as the defensive <laughs> coordinator in a couple of ways probably after giving up that many points at times but i think it's that you have an opportunity in your early 40s to be a head coach and i you know i actually reached out to john l smith uh, because you know at the time when i was at eastern he was he was actually the defensive coordinator at washington state for dennis and those great teams they had there and uh I asked him, you know, what was it, you know, that you know, that appealed to him to be that. He goes, You're only gonna get one chance in your life. And and you're probably you've got to make a decision, if that's your career track, that you gotta jump in and take it. Now, is what at that time was Weaver State the best football job in the conference? Probably not. But it was also my time, you know, in the sun to to make that move and go for it. And I did, you know, and um, and I'll never regret the, the fact that I had my chance to be a head coach. I didn't win enough football games as a head coach, you know, and, that, and that's the nature of the beast. But um, I really enjoyed the challenge of being a, a head coach. The, the challenges for us as a staff back then was, you know, um, support, to be quite honest. Having the ability to go out and access players is number one. And I think, you know, you'd get the same reaction from Jay Hill and any you know, other coach and Coach McBride. And I did my best as an athletic director to make sure that they had those resources to go out and access players. And, and it was just budget, it, to be quite honest, you know, and and, and we've all grown up with, you know, challenges in budget, and Coach Crompton right now is probably dealing with a you know a major challenge in budget. But we've grown to the point now where and it's not just facilities and in and, and blame. It's it's about substance, and you know, and, and we have enough substance now. We can go and get Jay and his staff in front of a player multiple times if we need to 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 entice them to become a wildcat. And and you just look at our our last, regardless of the success that Jay and his staff has had, you know, for the last six years, it's it's more about the players and, and their ability to access those players. We have we have got the best players in the football world in the big sky right now. The best players in the conference and that includes Montana's of the world and anybody else that we play against. We're at that level now where we're competing with the James Madison's of the world and the North Dakota State's of the world when it comes to having the player type that can get you to a championship.
1: Well not only that uh, one of the big differences today as opposed to when you took over obviously one of the first things you have to do is relationships with the local coaches uh, at the high school level but the quality of high school football oh, in this state today much, much better absolutely. than it was back in that Oh, era.
2: Steve, absolutely. Speed. That's the first deficiency that I noticed in the recruiting base when I came to Utah was lack of speed. And excuse me, but I was, you know, we were we were afforded a lot of opportunities on the west side of the state of Washington, the I-5 corridor, to, to find speed, and speed that was maybe smaller players that couldn't receive an offer from the Pac-10 back then, you know, Washington, Washington State. Idaho actually used to beat us on players in our own state in Washington because they had more to offer. And and once we could access that speed, you know, that that was the transition right there. That's when Eastern became really, really good, was developing those players from the west side that came over and created that speed factor. Same thing here, you know, as high school football here has now, it has a great reputation nationwide. Look at the mm-hmm. people that come. And try to pilfer our best players right right out of our backyard. That's a credit to Jay and his staff. Jay had a built-in relationship with all the head coaches in the state of Utah that I could never say that I had. You know, I had to create those relationships and I'm some guy from the state of Washington that they don't know. Jay has done an extremely good job of getting the best players in Utah. And we're beating teams of equal or better talent because of those Utah kids and then you sprinkle in the out-of-state kids and yeah, once again, you know, the Rashid Shaheeds of the world There's not speed like that, but there isn't in a lot of places mm-hmm. So you you sprinkle that in and with some really good decisions in our out-of-state scholarships You've got the formula for success
0: Yeah as you look back on your your head coach career, what 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 do you remember? What do you what stands out the most? I mean, as <laughs> you, said, wins or the you loss. said, obviously, yeah, you said it. I mean, you didn't well, win as many games as you wanted, obviously. Yeah. It's actually but, not so much the stats and the wins and the
2: losses, the relationships that you build with those players. I mean, there's a there's a locker room camaraderie, and 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 I, my. My favorite thing now is, I'm, I'm, I am I'm guess I'm a voyeur on Facebook, I, I love seeing what former players are doing, and some of them have grandchildren now, you know, but that network and that bond that you have with the players, that's what you miss in coaching is the day-to-day interaction with those players, you know, and helping them, that, that development piece I go back to. I mean, that's what really drove me as a player, is I was a little skinny dude that needed to get some muscle and some weight and develop, you know, and... Those that day-to-day interactions what you really miss. But you know, there's there's always games that, that jump out at you. I mean, I, I, I know the one game that when Portland State came here ranked number two in the country and, and they were a much better and Tim Walsh, a really good friend of mine. He was the head coach of Portland State at that time. And I remember talking to him before the game and I'm I'm thinking to myself, you know what, I'm not really gonna have to say a whole lot to get my guys motivated in the locker room before we come back out because there was a lot of chirping going on and you know as the teams were warming up and I could just sense it and feel it that our guys really wanted to a piece of this action and we went out and just destroyed them you know and, and, and Tim and I talked about that since and it wasn't any fancy game plan it was just old it looked like today's Weber State football team at a lot, in a lot of ways yeah. we didn't really big plan a whole lot or anything we beat them with special teams we ran the ball extremely well. We shut down their run. I believe they'd run the ball for 300 yards the previous week against a really good Idaho team, and and we held them to under 100, 100 yards rushing. And uh, you know those those kind of games jump out. Yeah. And then you've got the flip side of the coin going to Missoula after we upset them. And in my first year, you know we hadn't beaten Montana in a long time. We got a great win out here in front yes. of a large crowd. Yes. Scott Shields had a tremendous game and a fake punt. And, and found a way to beat a you know a good Montana team, and they went up the next year and lost you know gave up 80 points. You know how does that happen? Well, once again, you know if you have the right people in place as players, you know you're always going to have a chance. And and the cupboards were pretty bare after that first year, and so we had to rebuild. That was a good football team that went six and yeah, five my first yeah, year, yeah. Um, just just missing a few pieces. You know, losing a quarterback and, in the first season, but it's those relationships that you really miss. You know. There's a million games that you know that that you think about. You know, I'm funny that way. I'll, I'll see guys that uh, Mark Cortis is a great example. He played at Eastern Washington. He still holds the record for interceptions in a game. He had five picks against Boise State when I was at at, at Eastern Washington. I remember him missing a tackle on the goal line for that <laughs> game to be close because he didn't tackle high. He tackled low, and the guy hurdled him and he went in the end zone. When I see him, you know, 40 years after the fact, he goes, you're still going to give me bad time about uh-huh. that missed tackle. Yes, I
0: am. Yeah.
2: I had five picks in that game, coach, and
0: and you missed an assignment, you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, coach of the year 2003. Another thing that happened and we're we're in it right now is the Sky Suites was built in 2001. Yeah. Yeah. when you were the head coach, John Johnson obviously very involved in that, but what a huge! That was the start of many more facilities, which we'll get to yeah. in a bit. But that was a huge addition. It really
2: was. It really was. You know, credit to John and the the, the people of Ogden and, and the administration at that time for, you know, this is a thirty thousand square foot facility we're sitting in today, that's state of the art, and it you know twenty seven luxury suites upstairs, and a radio room, and a TV room. And it's a Steve, little different. Steve, than, Steve can attest to some of the <laughs> A little different than the old press box. Well, the <laughs> old press box and some of the other uh, stadiums that we will. That will remain unnamed right. that uh, we've sat through yeah. for broadcasts, and uh, we're we're pretty spoiled here, but yeah. that was a huge, you know, move in the right direction. It really was, because people don't realize that, and, and this is really more for fans and administration, this building we're in right now. It wasn't so much for players, because the, the old locker room still remained, and the old right. weight room still remain and some of those things, but it definitely... You know, spruced up, you know, Elizabeth D. Shaw Stewart Stadium, but it was really for the fans. And, you know, it's a nice revenue stream to be able to lease out suites during a game and have a great room for your your, your your media. You know, the media's spoiled here. I mean, you guys put on a great spread every game that I can remember. And they get fed well and they have great friendly confines, all those good things. But in addition to that, going back to the development piece, how do you move the needle and get your players better in all sports? You know, and so the renovations to, you know, clear over to the Stromper Complex, to, you know, what we've done with the fields. Norm Tarbox gets unbelievable credit for the, for the changes in, that I've seen in 22 years in, in the physical makeup and the bricks and mortar of this of this wonderful campus is amazing. You know, and, and the administration through Ann Milner when I was here and actually, you know, Mr., uh, President Thompson when I first came here at Ann, uh to our current president you know brad and and chuck 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 white in, in in between there those people have all supported us and and now you're seeing us you know moving in that direction probably from an overall standpoint having the best facilities yeah overall in the big sky and i'm I'm, in, I'm not taking anything away from Washington Grizzly Stadium because that is one of the top three stadiums in the country for SCS football. Except for the press box. It's, oh my gosh. You said we were going to not name any people. <laughs> you said you were. Oh, okay. Steve stepped up. <laughs> yeah, that is one of the, not, not, not the nicest radio booth in, in the conference. But, going back to that, you know, from an overall, you know, a, a top-down looking view, we probably have the best facilities. I know for a fact you know, our investment in fields and and, and quality surfaces, hardwood floors and and grass fields for soccer and now the artificial surfaces in and our our athletes have a chance to play in some of the best, uh, you know,
1: facilities in the conference. What about your transition? The changes decided to be made as far as you're being the head football coach, but yet you then it, it shifts into administration, it's not often a coach uh, has his tenure end and stays with the same school.
2: Yeah, I'll never forget Coach Mack, you know, he he, he he follows me after my coaching career, and then I end up becoming the athletic director, and he and I having a, a discussion or a difference in opinion on something, I said, I have to remind him, I am your boss. He laughed. He thought that was the funniest thing ever. But Chick Hislop was also the same way, you know. I used to make sure that I always conferred with Chick before I made a decision as an athletic director, and that's changed dramatically too. And once again, I go back to Norm Tarbox, our, uh, you know, our our uh, vice president that oversees, you know, athletics, has has played a role that's an interesting dynamic because Norm really didn't have an athletics background, even though he played a little baseball at Snow. I got to make sure I mention that. He could always <laughs> hit behind the runner. He told me. <laughs> but um, you know, he had an overall idea from an administrator what the numbers look like to support you know an athletic department. But what really, as you know, as he's grown through his years, what it really takes to support the student athletes. Number one, first, you know, that's that's our goal. That's that's what we're here for: is to to, to fit you know um, their their careers academically and athletically so that they're they're well prepared when they leave here and have a great experience. But he was able and support us just like the rest of campus, you know. And I, I think huge kudos to Norman and what he's done in those years and how we've how we've changed the dynamic when it comes to our approach to fulfilling that goal of you know creating an athletic experience for student athletes. And I. I it's 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 been wonderful to be quite honest to sit back after 22 years and play a small piece in some of that development and and, and you know tossing that hat on the, that hat rack inside the front door may have been a part of that, but at the same time it comes back to you know how I was brought up and how you like I said become loyal and disciplined in those things in those areas so it took me a while to be quite honest Steve to figure out okay now as an administrator I'm not getting the same satisfaction out of winning or losing a game but yeah you know what at the end of the day what what how can you go about helping that athletic experience for those student-athletes you know and, and, it, and it took me a while to understand that you know in, in my role now as a development officer and, and as a fundraiser if I can create that interest or that support and we have unbelievable support here in our community and at large even our out-of-state support when it comes to funding our institution and helping with those private funds that's a difference maker too. You know, it's just it's a different way of providing that support to those student athletes. And it it, it, it took me a while. You know, and there's there's days and I still, you know, I there's not a day that goes by that I don't wake up and say, eh, you know what? I got to go take a peek and see what's going on at football yeah. practice." It's just because you know it's. In, I don't want to say it's in your blood, but it is. Yeah. You know, and and you and you miss that. You know, I mean, I mean, it's got to be killing you right now not to be able to go play by Do play. Whether game. it's the bees baseball or wildcat football, we'd we be having a game coming up. You right. know, I mean, it's last one was March 11th. I can't Marshall even, I can't the even imagine. Yeah, boys, yeah. I, I mean, I sit there in amazement how you paint the picture as it is and just try to stay out of your way. But at the same time, it's it's in your blood. I mean, you don't. You became probably a broadcaster because of listening to Chick Hearn or somebody. I don't
0: know, there we go, see, see, so. Well, my first year or so, first or second year, this is when you transitioned, I guess is one way to put it, right? (laughs) And you were a special assistant, you spent a year or close to a year as just kind of a special assistant, still had a contract, and I give you credit for that. You probably could have just sat at home and got paid but you, well, you came in and worked
2: yeah you know what it, it goes back to family you know you, you do what's right for your family and um, I was under contract still and, and uh, receiving a paycheck from Weber State but at the same time you know when you get fired as a football coach and you're, and you're um, in that world you know you start right away trying to find another job and, and I actually I actually turned down a chance to go coach at UNLV and uh, and the reason was uh, Macy my youngest uh, was not quite born yet, and uh, I said, you know what, let's just step back for a year and, and bring her on board and get that going, and then we'll see what it looks like. Because yeah. you know, I still had plenty of good years of, yeah. in me of coaching, but it just kinda, you know, sometimes it's all about timing, you know, and, and Norm decided to make a move in the athletic director position at the time and asked me, since I was still under contract, would I consider being the interim Director of Athletics, and so I, I agreed to that with the caveat, and I had to give him credit that I would be considered as a serious candidate for, for the full-time job. position. And I fought like hell to get that. Spot. Well,
0: you spent four years as that. One thing that it's to me stands out is in to success for you in that time was the hiring of, of Coach Ray. We tell us stories about how that how that happened.
2: Yeah, I I I still you know tell people that the reason I hired Randy Ray as the basketball coach is because I could post him up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he probably loves loves it. You you know what
2: Randy's response, and this is why we got the best coach in the history of the Big Sky Conference when it comes to men's basketball. His response when I said that was, "You'd lose a leg doing it." (laughs) So that little pit bull mentality, you know, still exists in our head basketball coach today. But you know what? randy you know people don't understand that in my process of trying to find the next best ronna beglin because ann asked us to find the next ronna beglin specifically to that hiring committee i'll never forget her words. randy was the type of person that i look for that's so dedicated to their sport and development of players um that I knew that at that time it was going to be key because we were going to lose a lot of players that year. That that person had to be able to go out and access players uh, again. And Randy, of all the coaches that I talked to and administrators that I talked to, his name kept popping up. About he's a grinder. He is an incredible recruiter. So, you know, not only you know working for you know, one of the all-time winningest coaches in the state of Utah, you know, at Utah State, and, and, and working for Coach Jacoletti, obviously, at, at uh, Utah for a while, they all said the same thing. You know, and, and I'm good friends with Mark Few, who was the head coach at Gonzaga. And, and I reminded him that he used to be a ball boy for Coach Fitz when he was there. And then went through Monson, you know, Danny Monson's on his staff and then and, and, and did the same thing. Put his time in and became obviously one of the best basketball coaches in the country. And I finally talked to him on the phone and I gave him my three finals and he goes, well, that's an easy one, Randy Ray. I call him still to find out where recruits are and I'm a Gonzaga. That kind of sealed the deal for me. He's a grinder. Randy is, if you know Randy, he's a grinder he's genuine he's very disciplined he does it his way he creates great citizens post basketball careers because he insists that you know they 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 follow the regimen that's going to get them and make them successful at the end of their careers so yeah, I got that one yeah. right. As an <laughs> athletic director, I, I give
0: myself credit for that. That's one of the the hard things, I'm sure. Though it was, oh, was I mean, that's a, especially with you know basketball was traditionally, obviously, historically well. How about our this premier guy sport? Right and, the table. Who do you yeah.
2: think hired him? Uh, you know, Tim
0: and Tim. We had we had dual head coaches
2: at that time. You know, we yeah. had Tommy and, and Lynn and Lynn yeah. co-fed and and great coaches. And Tim had been you know kind of just started out as an assistant there, and and not only did he was smart enough to you know to hand the reins to him when Lynn decided to retire and, and kept Tommy around for a while to help him, you know? And and, uh, and then, you know, it, Tim is the first coach other than a men's basketball or football coach that received a multi-year contract. And a lot of people were like, what the heck's that got to do with anything? It, it has a lot to do with anything. It's a, it's a statement again, that you're, you're going to reward people for staying the course being successful hard work all those types of things and you know now it's the norm for us you know and uh that's not a play on norm tarbox but it is it's it's something that we have incentives for our coaches in place now where they can say you know what i'm being rewarded for all this hard work i'm putting in because back when i was coaching that wasn't a part of the deal you know when i won coach of the year i got a nice attaboy on the pat on the back for being coach of the year, you win coach of the year now. There's, there's more than a, an attaboy pat on the
3: back, which is a cool thing. It really is. Uh Tim Krobson, I gotta ask you, uh, how how is Jerry as a boss? Well, you know, I was just about to pipe in there because we Jerry's got he's got lots of stories because he's he's seen. Because he's it, old. About well, I wasn't gonna That's say that. That's part of it. I mean, but he's he's seen as Paul described every every angle of our athletic department and our community from you know from all the things that he's done here and to answer your question i mean that, that there's a lot to say there a lot to unpack if you will he he knows coaches and he's taught me a lot and he's taught other people a lot here and he is a loyal person and he is a wildcat even though he comes from acapocatello hey, it's I to it's acapocatello <laughs> that's, that's how i kept I, my sanity
2: in living in Pocatello <laughs> for 2 years I kept telling myself I was in Acapulco. <laughs> right.
3: So I can't say enough about, about Jerry, and yeah, he certainly got it right with Randy Ray. He's obviously the winningest coach in the history of the Big Sky Conference, and we did okay in soccer along the way as well. So, uh, but you know, more importantly, on a personal note, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure to be able to watch and learn uh, from Jerry over the years so and as an athletic director he was he was he was hard on me as a coach he expectations were high however um, he, he pat you on the back when you did a good job and he and knew he understood where where you were or what you might be thinking and what you might be dealing with and that was always a, a, a good place to be able to go to so um, yeah as so far as uh your career is
1: concerned, Jerry, what's it going to feel like? Other than being able to watch, I guess, a few games on TV, to, to have a fall without football for the first time since you were probably about five or six.
2: Yeah, I know, I'm telling you, I've worn out the Pac-12 network replays. And I've, got, I've got tons of knowledge on every one of those games and every play. I was just commenting the other day, I saw young Jay Hill running up and down the sideline when they ran back a punt and a kickoff in a game against Colorado. You know, and I, I, he goes, what are you doing? I said, I, that's all I've been watching in the evenings, you know, and NFL replays the greatest games ever, the Super Bowl. I've seen the National Championship game probably three times. So, you know, to be quite honest, we're going to have to get real creative with what we do in my world in fundraising. And uh, we've, we've done an excellent job, and Tim's been a, obviously a big assist to me, and Dr. Betsy Manel, our MVP for University Advancement. We're, we're, we're maintaining our relationships with our donor base and, and doing our best to stewardship them, and ask what they need from us because in times like this you need to make sure that people, you know, are, are involved, you know, and know what's going on with athletes. Trying to give them the the best updates you can on the on the state of affairs, you know. So we're trying to do a lot of stewardship calls and contacts, and and you got to know people's comfort level. Some people aren't comfortable sitting in a room like you and we are right now with you know. Maintaining our social distancing, but also at the same time face-to-face contact. So, you know, they're more reluctant to maybe have me come and visit with them. You know, I've utilized the golf course a lot this this throughout this pandemic, you know, and and I'm going to continue to do that because it's one way where we can get out and participate and compete. And still have engagement with you know our donor base but we're going to have to become a little bit maybe even some old school snail mail and some of those types of approaches when it comes to contact with people you know people are accepting of emails obviously they're being more evolved i find more people are actually opening their emails now <laughs> you know really mm-hmm. and, and whereas an, an email might sit you know in an inbox for four or five days before you got a response now you're getting an immediate response because they're actually you know engaged through you know through those means you know and i think you know what we've done in in our sports information and, and, and through our department with social uh, media has been a tremendous, you know, uh, uh, positive for for people during these times. I mean, you you see much more interaction, more opens, more hits, more people that are involved, you know, uh, because they're looking and they're starved for those things. For you and I, it's just like, I'm hoping so wholeheartedly that we can pull this off maybe with a spring day. I like our chances as an FCS conference if we get buy-in from the big hitters, you know, in the Ohio Valley Conference and the Big Sky Conference to to give us our niche because we do play for a championship, and I think we could do that. I think we could pull that off, to be quite honest, and I think we could corner the market when it comes to viewership. You know, maybe not as much worrying about so much how many, what percentage of our stadium can hold, you know, 25% of... 20,000 at Stewart Stadium, we can still accommodate a lot of good people, 50%, whatever that number is, because the numbers change every day. I think that, you know, we can provide an unbelievable product with that championship, that caveat that we're still going to play for a national championship. I think we'd have a hell of a lot better chance of pulling that off than the XFL, the AFL, Mm -hmm. any of those other FLs you know,
1: they're come and gone.
2: (laughs) To be quite honest, you know, I think think it could be a really cool thing. I
1: don't think people realize how hard he works at what he does. A lot of times uh, on a game day, for football, uh, I won't see him uh, until it's time to go on the air, and then after our first opening segment, I don't need Jerry again until the until kickoff. And you're out there smoozing still and, yeah. and and doing what you have to do to, yeah. to help try to, to raise funds. I mean, you yeah. you do such a good job with that, with the exception of not bringing back the good food in right. Nevada last year.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, just a boat on that boy. The last day. I paid the price for not hitting. The, I had to, I had an opportunity to access some really quality food for Steve and I in the game, and I get back to the press box, and I'm ready to eat with Steve before we go on the air, and there is no such thing as any press box Mm. in Nevada.
0: Well, you've, you've had a role, obviously your role is development and fundraising, and the Youngberg Center was a huge part of what you did but you've also, uh, yeah, done the radio with Steve. You're working with a legend there. You're a legend, too, but he's also a legend. What's that been like? Yeah, you do calling call the games, traveling, and all those things?
2: Well, yeah, you know, I've really enjoyed it because when you first approached me about doing this, you know, I've listened to all of our color commentators, you know, a lot of them, uh, former greats, former Weaver State football greats, you know, and I, I try to live by a few things. Don't get in Steve's way. He is the professional. <laughs> and less is better a lot of times you know don't get over analytical you know steve's been a great mentor for me you know and i don't have full command of the english language I, i'm pretty quick when it comes to to responding to his uh, you know his corny jokes because he pulls them off you know repeatedly <laughs> but i i really enjoy the interaction during a game because we try to provide a perspective at least as a color commentator of what the fan can't see because they're not there in person and you know steve's wonderful at doing you know painting that picture i call it but it's it's less is better for fans a lot of times. If I get too technical, because I watch the game I'm maybe a little differently than 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 most people, I'm not just following the ball all the time. It's nice though because it usually comes to fruition with the call, the actual call. You know, I can anticipate Josh Davis. I I I saw that long run at the point of contact. He's gone. He's gone. Yeah. So I started saying that a little bit, and I and I hate to interrupt Steve on that because he's trying. He's to the twenty. He's to the thirties. But he's he, he was gone through t- back at the ten when I saw <laughs> it you know. So you try not to do that, you know, you don't, don't overstep your bounds, but it's been great because I see a whole different side of of a game because I'm amazed at how, how many spots you have to give to, to, you know, your supporters, you know, the add ins, all those types of things. So he does allow me to run out after we get done, with, the, you know, before the game even starts, like I can, so I can do my real job, which is go and visit all of our, our supporters in, the, in their suites and, and get a chance and get some touch points with those people and then get back on the air and, and get ready to go.
1: Well, there's a couple of things about what Jerry does that I, I really appreciate. One is the fact that he has the trust of the coaching staff and, and head coach Jay Hill, he'll Check in on practice a couple of times, and, and they'll give him some tidbits that uh, yeah. help in, in the preparation for the game. And also, it's it's back like he's a, a, another coach up in the up in the press box. Like he sees the field a completely different way than I do.
2: Yeah, you know what? And and I learned a long time ago after listening to I, I used to listen to Chick Hearn, and I'm a Dodger. I hate to you know I have to admit that I'm a Dodger <laughs> fan. <laughs> I know that didn't sit well with Steve, but when I was a kid growing up, you could actually drive up on the side of the Blue Mountains outside of Walla Walla, and you were either getting the San Francisco broadcast or even Southern California. So, I mean, you can imagine, you know, there was there was guys that listened and were big Giants fans or, or you were with the group that wanted to listen to the Dodgers. So, I mean, we didn't have the Mariners and we didn't have the Seahawks when I was growing up, so that's why I'm a Steelers fan. Because a guy from my neighborhood played for the Steelers, Dean Derby, still alive to this day, ninety-some years old. Wow! And then you know, and then and and then hanging out with the guys that were Dodgers fans because they liked listening to Vince Gill and Chick Hearn. You know, and I'm kind of a closet Laker fan, but not really. I'm more of a you know I'm a number one Portland Trailblazer fan not yes. because of one person, but and I love the Utah Jazz because it's our home state, so you got to support them, but. Just you know, hearing Steve's stories are a lot, hell of a lot more interesting than
0: my coaching stories. <laughs> you two are great together. I, I know we've taken too much of your time. Just to wrap it up, I mentioned the the Youngberg Center. You talked about the facility here with this the Sky Suites, but boy, that Youngberg Center, multi million dollars that took years. And Coach Hill has it in his office still. The draw, the first drawing that yeah. he kind of envisioned, and you yeah, worked kid. with him and all that. And yeah, that was
2: fun. You know, getting getting a, a wish list from a coach is one thing and then being able to to bring that wish list to fruition is another, but the the, the support of the administration uh, to go out and pursue those type of funds is number one. You have to have the support from Brad Mortensen, our president and Norm Tarbox, you know, and Betsy Minnell. And we have that go to, that green light to go to and approach those people that have the resources to support it. So those names you know you got rory and barbara youngberg yeah. wonderful people and, and rory's a graduate of the university of utah and but they truly bleed purple and they support like most people that you, they support their community their their university and their community in their backyard rory doesn't miss a game you know and hasn't missed a game he's creeping up there i don't want to blow him up but he's in he's in his 90s and so is barbara you know and they're wonderful people and, and, and the other names, you know, the Stewart Education Foundation has been a long time. The family members of that education foundation have supported this whole campus, yeah. not just athletics. Obviously, across this campus, you see those prominent names, you know, on, on, on buildings. It's not just the names on buildings. It's the underlying support that people don't really realize, you know. And, and we've got former, we've got former student athletes sometimes that aren't egocentric, so you don't see their yeah. name on a on a facility. The Sarks boys, the Sarks boys, among, you know, yeah. and, and and that's a that's that's a, you know, there's only one way to say it. Roger Trim Carroll, who's yeah. the 68, 1968, was an All American middle linebacker. He generated the support amongst his his teammates, and and – lovingly and commonly referred to as the Sarge boys that is the gateway to the north yeah. you know and then you know the Marquardt family has prominently uh-huh. been helping us you know and Bob Marquardt when he passed away was one of the first large donors to coach Mack and his yeah. successful career and his wife Annette and her husband Larry Kimball have been longtime supporter and Nancy Bankin Nancy Bankin and her husband Jack go way back you know to being one of the original uh, donors, you know, to support the athletic program, and Nancy's maintained that giving, and that's why it's the Nancy, you know, Jack and Nancy Bank and Hall of Fame Plaza. You know, those people that, that uh, you know, have supported us over the years made that happen. Without their support and the numerous other namings within that building, they're all former players, you know, and we yeah. love to see former players that say, going back to it, our job is to support the student athlete experience. Those people had such a great experience that they're willing to give back and pay it forward. Yeah, it's remarkable
0: though, and every time we still walk in there, I think, Wow, look at yeah, that! I think it's about come.
2: time for Steve and I to be able to do a production
0: game. You could do it from, from that right side. over there in the heart, it'd be a yeah. different view and
2: a different perspective. <laughs> it may not have enough elevation that we would need. To well, be able you've to done
0: games in different places, That's we won't true. mention any that That's might be true. worse. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah, in the book exactly.
2: there, I mean. That Cal Poly experience was one of the all time, <laughs> and uh, maybe we won't share that with the with the uh, listeners. Today, one word: sunburn. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, both of us are challenged when it comes to uh, sunburns. When we're all there. We're, yeah. all there, we're all there. Yeah, folically challenged. Follically challenged. Well,
0: uh, well I'll, I'll let everybody else wrap it up too. But I I just think uh, you know you've and I've been together a long time here yeah. at Weber State and. Um, like I said, I go into that building and think, wow, look at the changes. And just to think, the many hats that you've worn, liter- figuratively, I guess, not literally, right? But the many hats you've worn and the changes you've seen that we were seeing in yeah. this
2: time. It's- well, the campus, I mean, it starts clear down on, uh, you know, Harrison. You know, when you enter and just from some silly thing like a, turn, a, a roundabout. I mean, Norm had the vision to put in roundabouts to keep the circulation of traffic on this on this campus what it is today. Because I, I remember, I mean there's so many checkpoints back in the day to try to get on campus I mean just something as simple as that and then you once once you step on campus the changes on campus are just amazing I mean our our science building are you kidding me that rivals anything in the country I mean that is just Tracy Hall is amazing and you know and and we're at the top we're up here yeah we're we're looking down on the rest of campus as we speak today and and having an addition like the Youngberg Center makes us better as an overall department. Because it's not just football that benefits from that facility. You know, that weight room is state of the art. I mean, you're talking about a ten thousand square foot weight room that all four hundred of our student athletes can access on a daily basis to get better. You know, and that's that's all part of it.
0: Well, we can't wait for some games, right? Exactly. we see you two back together on the in the booth. <laughs>
1: Look forward to it, uh, uh, Jerry. The only only analyst that I have had here in football that stayed with me for more than one year. Ooh! Right. <laughs> wow. I don't know what that means, wow. Steve. <laughs> wow! Well, I, I asked for the contract <laughs> when I came here, but I didn't see one yet. Maybe
2: we need to sign that <laughs> up before I leave today. But I've enjoyed working with Steve. I mean. He has, a, like I say, a unique perspective on calling all sport. I think he could call a chess match, yes. to be quite honest, yeah. and make it interesting for the <laughs> listeners. And, and I really enjoy that. And it's, it's always fun to work with a, with a consummate professional. Well, the line is we have fun. Yes, yes you we
0: do. do. Tim summed it up earlier, too. I don't know. You don't like to take credit, but there's a lot of things that we have here that... You deserve a lot of credit for for your time that you've spent here. So well I appreciate that. You stay
2: at any one place long enough, you,
0: you'll make a dent, even if it's in a bumper once in a while. You'll be remembered for something at least. Yeah, right? Absolutely, yeah.
2: catch me with a hat on someday. I, I think I sent a picture to you when I was golfing with. Well, uh, you had no choice but I to, wear no wear hats, to wear a right? hat. To wear a hat because I forgot my umbrella to to save my head and my clubs. So that may be the only picture
0: of me with a hat on in existence. Tim will let you have the last word, but you kind of summed it up. But he, uh, he definitely does deserve a lot more credit than he probably says.
3: Well, I think that goes without saying. He does a lot of things behind the scenes, like I mentioned. But to me personally, it's, it's, it's a pleasure to have him working in our department and have these two work in the game together. And hopefully we'll get back to those games sooner than later. I mean, um, and that's always a question on a daily basis in, in all athletic departments across the country right now. But it's a pleasure to have you guys here today. That's, there's no doubt about that. So thank you very much.
0: All right. Thanks, Jerry Graybill, for joining us on the Cattails podcast. And Steve will be back for more soon. And uh, in the meantime, of course, go go Wildcats.
2: Go Wildcats. Go Wildcats.